0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Organic Grower School, offering a Cuba agroecology tour in the summer of 2021. Learn more at organicgrowerschool.org.
2: Welcome to another episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. We have the distinct pleasure and the honor of inviting someone that, first of all, I have a lot of appreciation and love for, uh, Steve Sando. He's the founder of Rancho Gordo Beans, who I've been a big proponent of and supporter of for many, many years. Uh, Rancho Gordo is an heirloom bean company based in Napa, California. and Yeah, it translates to Fat Ranch, but that doesn't necessarily capture really what they're all about. Uh, Steve comes from a background of web design and, you know, the guy's been all over. I mean, he, he was a jazz radio disc jockey, just to show you his unbelievable reach. Um, and, you know, started with some heirloom tomatoes and then branched out and had no real experience into agriculture. But he felt it was a calling for him and he wanted to help market beans. Right. That's that's really what it's all about. He decided to grow. The beans, and then gather bean seeds from uh, Seed Savers Exchange and then move all over places like Oaxaca, Mexico to really locate the producers and make sure that he can bring those wonderful varieties here up north to the States. And since that, he started from uh, 300 pounds in 2001 to 150,000 pounds in 2007. And you get the idea. It's been an unbelievable ascension uh, for Rancho Gordo. They're considered the premier, premier uh, producers of heirloom beans in this country and I, again i i can't tell you how much steve uh, it means to us for you being here you support local farmers uh from places uh all over mexico peru poland bolivia even oregon and washington here locally so muchísima gracias thank you for being
3: here it's an absolute honor yeah i'm so happy to be here too unfortunately i'm somewhat of a fanboy for both of you <laughs> so it's it, the Mutual Aberration Society. Well,
4: you know, I, I felt uh, when you sent me that book, I've been reading it and I just feel like as if I know you. You know, that you're, yeah. I, I love the way you write. It's so personable and then, and, and you know, how you gave, uh, gives space for every, the people that you work with in Mexico. And it's, it's just, it's just warm. It was so warm and all the recipes, I, those are the kind of recipes I want to cook even though I wasn't like a real being, being cook, but you know, but now I'm going to be, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm very, I'm thrilled to have you here. It's, it really is wonderful. Thank you.
3: The funny thing is I have people now trying to copy what we're doing, but I'm not an ag guy. I'm a very poor business person, But I'm happy <laughs> and uh, also building a better relationship with Mexico. I mean, we are the worst neighbors imaginable and actually, <laughs> what can we do that's non-political, that's really wonderful is break bread together or tortillas and have beans and realize how much of a shared culture we have. So for me, it's totally out of passion. But it has nothing to do all with All right, business, Steve. So, <laughs> so
2: what was the bean, what was the gleaming of the bean? Like what, what was that moment where you're like, you know, out of all the segments of Mexican food and culture, you know, where people of corn where people of Chile, all the Mesoamerican diet, which is so, which, which, which is so essential You know, why beans in that particular category?
3: Well, as you you said, I started growing tomatoes, and I thought I would do heirloom tomatoes, especially ones from uh, Mexico. I thought that would be fun, but they were taking too long to ripen. So I did beans, and I grew an heirloom called Rio Zape and I thought, oh, wait, this is like the pintos that I really like, but I love this. There's little hints of chocolate. There's hints of coffee. And it's like, how is this not known by every Home cook, Mm -hmm. and why is it a rare thing only for people who do seed saving and uh grow at home? So, I mean, that was kind of the start of it. Gotcha. And I think beans are cuisine neutral, everybody can get behind them. Depend, it's not they're from Mesoamerica, but actually, some of the best breeders were the Italians. And now, like I said, we get this bean, the royal corona is roots in Oaxaca, bred by Italians, produced in Poland. So, it's (laughs) to me, that's about as romantic as it gets. (laughs)
2: I think I had a girlfriend like that once. Anyway, (laughs) mom, uh, a question for Steve?
4: A question for Steve. You know, of all the little things that you send me, the ayocote beans, Mm -hmm. just. I mean, is that like one of the the maximum varieties of of beans? Well,
3: it's interesting. When we first started, so actually I'm doing our 20- year anniversary next year so it's been 19 years of doing this which uh it's aged me greatly but it's been, fine. It's been it, a fun ride. but when we started doing uh you know my idea of a good time is to go to mexico go to the markets find the oldest woman on the outskirts of the market and buy beans from her and find out incredible rare ones um but then we worked with a company called shashok that uh has helped us for actually importing them because when i first started i would go and ask for beans so we could grow them here. And apparently that's the most offensive thing I could have done. And, you know, uh, indigenous farmers are like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to give you my beans, which they understood beans are seeds and seeds are everything. So there's this real love of the seeds. But so we started importing the beans directly from the indigenous farmers, which it was like pulling teeth. And I, they look at me and it's like, oh yeah, there's a fat Gringo. This is going to work in my favor. No, and they would shut down completely. And that's why it's been so great having my partners in mexico but one of the first beans i loved were the ayacote and 20 years ago when we started doing this it's like ooh, those are for indians we don't want it i mean that's what mexicans were telling me it's like they're really hard to digest you don't want them they're a bad bean and now they're chic as can be you see them in mexico city restaurants but i'm telling you 20 years ago no one would touch them but they think they can trace it back that's one of the oldest cultivated crops in the Americas. and the mesoamericans were much more advanced than the europeans for uh crops and it's kind of amazing i mean this bean that has traveled all over the world really is uh romantic delicious and uh one of the earliest ones
4: well in, in oaxaca they prepared in mole coloradito mm. so so what i did is when you sent me I, i've been cooking with the, with the beans all, all week long And I made it with Coloradito and I sent it to this guy who has a Oaxacan restaurant. He went crazy with it. Have you done any exploring in Veracruz?
3: Yes. Well, with your book in hand, yes. (laughs) So I think if I could go anywhere, I mean, I love Oaxaca and my friends live in Hidalgo. And I mean, I love traveling. But to me, sitting on a beach with a bucket of shrimp in Veracruz is about as happy as you can be. And the bean rolls they do, you know, they have that beautiful black bean roll that is at least half manteca, mm-hmm. but so what? It, it's a
4: yeah. lot. But, you know, they have so many dishes there, you know, like they have this puree with peanuts and and bacon and sausage and other mm-hmm. decline. They make the puff tortillas, the gorditas infladas, you yeah. know, which we spoke about in another occasion, but it's like really delicious. They uh, have another one where they saute it in butter. You know then the, the, i mean it's just it's just crazy you know it's like uh, frijoles and a with crushed uh pumpkin seeds i think that the Veracruz has the biggest variety of dishes with beans and
3: oh, that's interesting yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it i'm not gonna say this right but the infladas is that mm-hmm. right but yeah the infladas you said it beautiful
4: infladas. Uh-huh. The most,
3: I, I, having those for breakfast was one of my favorite things I think Veracruz is the great unknown gem. I think when people get a load of really, because not just the food, I mean, the music is incredible. The beaches are great. I mean, unfortunately, they've got some problems, but. (laughs) Who doesn't? Ellen, the, what do you call it? The uh, archaeological sites.
2: And and I think it's something to be mentioned that you said the idea of the humility of the being, but also it has that beautiful, uh, luxurious Note to it if it's prepared uh, properly right and the idea of that every Mexican should be able to afford tortillas and afford beans and I think you I know and I think that's oh, important yeah. that we yeah. should talk about that
4: it's like when I asked that, that man how is the the crisis affecting you the crisis doesn't affect me because all I eat are beans chili tortillas and and I, there's plenty of that
3: well except for the, when you like the state of tortillas is a little bit better but it's still pretty sad. Mm. The chilies are losing their pack because, you know, a lot of gringos don't want a lot of heat. And then the beans are often overprocessed. So in a weird way, it's, it's easier than having to buy other food, but there is... You have to be smart about your pantry too, even with these three things.
2: All right, so let's 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 break it down to the bean. We can get into varieties a little bit, yeah. just so we stay focused, because we're going to end up going on all these different ideas for all all of our listeners that are here that want experiments with bean. Let's talk about the basics. Let's talk about you get them from your beautiful Rancho Gordo bag, and they have, you have all that beautiful illustrations on on the actual little tiquetas or the or, or the labels. What do you do there, and what are your suggestions, Steve, as far as soak? No soap. I think you should do what you
3: want. The, the secret is beans are really hard to screw up. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't been cooking beans, it's really intimidating. You think, how am I going to turn this hard rock into something luxurious and soft? And that's the miracle of doing it. And you can soak them and they'll cook faster. You can change the water. Some people believe that helps with digestion. Or you could not do it. And on Sunday mornings, I cook beans every week. If I think about it, I'll put them to soak. If I don't, I don't bother. And I like to make things hard for myself. I put them in, I cook them in clay pots because almost every culture in Mexican in particular, they'll say, you know, the best beans come from an oil de bottle. I mean, Italians do it, the Polish, do everybody cooks in clay, but it's not necessary. I mean, I wouldn't get hung up. I think the problem we have is people who are somewhat new cooks, cook a pot of beans, and it's such a miracle they did it that they tell everybody that the way I did it the only <laughs> way to do it. And they, they're not really realizing. It's like, look, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Okay, Steve,
2: you've been to our house and say, <laughs> we, we talk about how great our food is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: how about that that mirepoix thing that you say, adding aromatics, because that, that doesn't go really with Mexican food. You know, I,
3: I could. I would do that like, garlic some and in some, manteca. Just, I would add onion, garlic, and some manteca to start up Mexican pot of beans. I wouldn't do the,
4: yeah, well, I, I use a lot of manteca. Yeah. I, I've written a lot about manteca, it's going to be one of our segments. Oh,
3: good, yeah,
4: praise the Lord,
3: yeah, exactly. But I'd say I, I simmer till done. I mean, that really is the secret with the pot of beans. Now, you can do it slowly, you can do it in a pressure cooker, but basically, it's not. Intimidating. I personally don't soak. I, if I do soak, I don't change the water. I salt somewhat early. I still am superstitious, even though the science is telling us that you can salt from the beginning. You definitely don't want any acidic things. And also, I would say do it vegan the first time. So you really get what is thrilling about the beans. And like some people wanted, oh, I cooked it really simply. I put a ham bone in it. And it's like, well, now you have a ham bone dish. I mean, honestly, the beans, if they're fresh, new crop, they can hold their own. They don't really need the help of pork. And of course, if you eat pork, have it with it if you want. But I'd urge, especially with heirlooms, it's like, why are you covering up this beautiful flavor?
2: I agree. Steve, that was well said. Mom?
4: You know that I don't, uh, I had never become aware of how important the skin is in, 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 in culinary things. I mean, you talk about the skin and the liquor that it forms. You know, it's it's fascinating because I, you, I, I never think that the, the, that the skin is going to come off. You know, you know what I'm saying?
3: Well, sure. And it affects the pot liquor or the bean broth. The caldo is different depending on how thick the skin is. So if it's a thinner skin, you have this, usually it's often, sometimes there are mysterious exceptions, but you'll have a much more interesting bean broth. And for a bean freak, the liquid you make is like free soup and it's yeah. the mold, which is why we don't cook cans unless it's an emergency because... You're supposed to rinse canned beans. So what does that say? I mean, you're missing all the beautiful uh, bean broth.
4: Yeah, it, it brought a big appreciation to me, frankly, cooking with your beans. Even though I, I mean it, you know, because I grew up in, in a ranch and my mom, oh, my mom used to do this wonderful thing. She used to cook the beans and lard until they became became chinitos, mm. you know, like almost crispy. Wow. And uh, they, they were fantastic. My, my mom was an amazing cook, you know.
2: And when you talk about that, mom, the idea of like cooking, just we're on the subject of the whole chinito, when they get crispy, or literally when the fat rises to the top, right? Because a lot a lot of times people yeah. understand, okay, so what's the idea between refried beans, cooking them straight up, all, all those. Um, what I would like to talk about is just, uh, okay, so you get your beans, you cook them regardless Uh-oh. if you're a soaker or non-soaker. Uh, Me particularly, I'm always trying to look for layers of flavor because that's something my mom taught me from an early age. So I actually like to char vegetables and chiles and different aromatics Mm. and put that in my soaking liquid, okay? And then I soak that, and then for me, the explosion of flavor in that dimension is something completely different, and that's just something playing around. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I've never done that.
2: But But try it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. As far as... Um, denaturing the beans that's up for debate, <laughs> but but the, the fact yeah. is, it's flavorful regardless. Yeah.
4: I can't believe that I've forgotten to tell you the stories. Of, I was always so bean minded, you know, since I was a little girl. The, the first place that they ever took me was that Mr. Bronson, who was an angel friend of the family to El Paso, the El Paso del Norte Hotel. And the first thing I said, yo quiero un plato grandote de frijoles. I'll take a lar- large plate of beans. That was my first restaurant experience. And I had a, an, a, an imaginary friend named <laughs> Alicio. And I used to talk to him all the time, all the time. One day, I came home and they say, you haven't mentioned Alicio very often. He says, no, Samurio, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he well, Why did he die? He says, he de- drowned in a pot of beans.
3: Oh. <laughs> Great mom. <laughs> I love that. But you know, I think a lot of times Mexicans take beans for granted because they're just there. And sometimes, I remember when I first started, I was in Some, you won't believe this, but some of the Mexico City chefs weren't as gracious as they might be. Ah! That's a a Chilango thing. Don't blame it on the chefs. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, Mexican food wasn't hip then. And then here was me coming down there saying, you know, you guys go to the Tianguis and find these incredible beans. And they're like, they were going to the Mercado de Abasto and getting Peruvian Peruanos or even Pintos. Or Chinese black beads And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, the treasure's right here. And I, so they resented it a lot in the very beginning. I had a lot of... Uh,
2: they resent me, too.
3: Kickback, it's, it's taken for granted. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And who were some of your, your earlier supporters, Steve, when you started with this idea? Um, you know, I know you're in Napa. My sister manages uh, Hudson Vineyard not far from yeah. you and Christina and, and, and Lee and all the team out there, but was it an Alice waters? Was it someone that got behind you early on that helped?
3: Yes. Well, I would go to the farmer's market and I was, the, that's where I started selling. And I was the loneliest guy at the farmer's market. Cause everyone was coming for tomatoes or lavender or things that they weren't going to actually cook. And I had rocks. And people would even come up and go, the heirloom beans are just beautiful, the markings. And they'd go, Ooh, I love nuts, ooh, beans. And they were just <laughs> all the time. But then Thomas Keller from French Laundry came by, and suddenly I was the bell of the ball. Like he asked really intelligent questions. We went bean by bean, and he figured out where he could use them. And you know he doesn't buy a ton, but it's important what he does buy. And after he left, it was almost like seagulls coming down after whales were feeding, or just every chef, every home cook wanted to know which were the keller beans. So it was kind of interesting. And also in Mexico, you know, as I said, some of them weren't so gracious, but Enrique Olvera was immediately like, oh, this is really important what you're doing, and I appreciate that. Cool. He was very helpful.
4: Do you do you know Rafael Mier?
3: Yes, the corn, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
4: the, the tortilla guy? Yes. I mean, oh, he's, he's also doing a lot of work with beans.
3: Is he now? Yeah.
4: Yeah, he's totally dedicated to that.
3: I actually did a book on pozole, mm-hmm. which is, and uh, he uh, helped me a lot with the different indigenous corns and regional corns that were used there. Because a lot of people think cacahuate is the only one to use, yeah. but it, it really is really, it's very interesting.
4: You know, that we have a friend who was on our, on our second podcast, actually, episode, a young kid named Zach Wangerman, despite the name, he's from Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. And he has, is opening up a tortilleria, all with native corn from Oaxaca. Wow. And all and all, and all his ingredients, I mean, he, first of all, he's so knowledgeable. He's a young guy. He worked with our own when he was 16.
3: Wow. like he like in Oaxaca?
4: It- yeah kind of like that but 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 it's, it's it's you know he's it's here in new york
3: wow well uh, you, had, he's, you had the worst tortillas for so long so i think it's so great you have now uh, someone doing this But <laughs> it's true no.
4: and they and they change they have, these are native corn it's a completely different love that because you know because you know that the, because the, the mexican corn is has that soft starch and the tortillas are stay soft it's delicious but we're talking about beans here. How about that? Those cassoulet beans that cost like $39 a pound, or what is
3: it? Yeah. If you go to France, I mean, and it's very uh, controversial there. Some people, LaRousse has, uh, I think they called it Bola beans. I mean, it, it, somehow the Tarbay people got in that this is the bean you're supposed to use. And they're from a town called Tarb. And
2: Steve, real quick, to, I'm sorry to interrupt. What makes one bean expensive versus another?
3: Well, for us, it's yield. So, I mean, some beans you can do thousands of pounds you know, per acre, and others, you just get a really crummy yield. And unfortunately, with heirlooms, you tend to get a lower yield, and they're harder to grow, which is why they're more expensive. Um, it's not a bougie thing where we're trying to mm. <laughs> build people. Well, let's you know? go back to cassoulet. I'm sorry.
2: Don't interrupt. Okay.
3: Yeah, no, no. Well, and that, we, well, I don't want to point fingers, but I think it's bad farming almost that did that. So this is this bean that's super rare. It's thirty dollars a pound. And we found the seed and we grew it here in California. But we called it Castellet just because out of respect for the farmers in France, we didn't want it. It was a terroir issue. So and I don't even know if we could, but we didn't even want to so we grew it and it grows like a weed in California. I mean not a weed, but we certainly it's not thirty dollars a pound to produce. So we are doing really well with it. And it's a beautiful creamy white bean that would be a shame to only use it for cassoulet. I mean, it's great. I do it with calites. Um, I do a taste like in Colorado and add some white beans. And I really sometimes wonder why I'm not a vegetarian when I eat that way. It's like this, I can live on this.
4: Yeah. I just made a big pot of chile colorado.
3: Nice. Yeah.
4: yeah. I hate this kind of question, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> if you had three recipes that you would tell people to make sure to try to appreciate, you know, the, the, the all the qualities.
3: Wow. Well, first, I'd have to say pot beans. So just do a pot of beans, and I, I feel weird telling you guys, saying this with you guys here. But a lot of people think you have to add hot chilies and everything. But actually, I think with beans and Mexicans, it's more important that you have a squeeze of lime and fresh raw onion because they like that cream versus the crunch. And chilies are great too. You definitely can do that if you want, but. Honestly, a squeeze of lime, a spoonful of white or red onion. Yellow onions are kind of too pungent, so you have to rinse them, but white you can go raw. And have that in the tortilla. And with tons of broth, I don't know what you can do better than that. I mean, to me, that's pretty exciting. But then I would say, and frijoladas, if you, instead of enchiladas, you make a frijol sauce, which I think is pretty Oaxacan, although I guess I've only seen it in Oaxaca. I don't know if it is anywhere else. Yeah. And then... Um, Beans and greens. I mean, that's also like a, we're just saying with the kale taste, which are you know wild edible greens. But if you do Swiss chard, or uh, I'm not a huge kale fan, but you could do kale, I think it works well. And uh, beans, I mean, you've got that's I mean, it's food, drink, and lodging all in one bowl. So I think it's perfect.
4: Um, something is telling me that there are some sweets with beans.
3: There are actually, there's a dulce de frijol that it's okay, and I know. Here in California, there's a group called Your Black Muslim Bakery, and they used to make a bean pie that mm-hmm. was really famous. Mm-hmm. And there's a book called A Bowl of Red, which is all, all about Texas chili, written a million years ago. But he talks about having beans drizzled with honey. Mm. And, oh, yeah. it, and It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, if you think about the red bean, uh, the little mochis that they use in Asia as well, mom, I mean, so there is that there is that little connotation to, to go into the sweet. Um, For me, I think what I I would love for our listeners to get a better grasp of is, all right, so you have your beans. Not all beans are created equal. I think let's talk a little bit about what the heirloom variety versus mass-produced beans, because if we can summarize it, at one point we had a big playbook of beans and vegetables and everything. Then we kind of condensed it. Now we're rescuing, now we're bringing back to light these beans that may have been a little bit more forlorn or or, or thrown to the wayside. Let's talk a little bit about that. So our, our listener can understand that.
3: Well, first I have to say, I'm not a snob about beans and that commodity beans that are easy to produce and are really productive have a role. It's cheap, great protein. So even though that's not my thing i mean there is a place for that but the heirlooms like i said it, for me this real Zape was the first one that i grew and i like pinto beans just fine and but having them is like the nuance of flavor is just amazing and there's not that i know that some like kidney beans have a gumminess to them that isn't attractive i mean heirloom beans just don't have that they have they. I mean, it's just, it's the flavors and the textures. I just don't think there's anything that you can compete with it. And also it's really regional. And I think it's really important to celebrate regional differences, you know, in the United States and in Mexico and all over the place. And yet at the same time, what the most romantic thing to do is to take some ayacote beans, put them in your pocket and go to Zanzibar and just start the tradition there as well.
4: Have you ever had that, that soup that you toast the beans and then grind it to a powder? Yeah, they use the latte
3: to grind them. Yeah, it's, even, yeah, it's more work.
4: And, and it's, it's like a, like a sopa seca, azteca.
3: Yeah, with I, avocado. It's a lot of work, I think. But you
4: know. Well, like, like this, well, I, I, already, I already repeated that story, so I can't tell it, but it's so good. It's better to lead the donkey than carry the load.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, though, too, you know, some people who are freaked out about cooking beans, the instant pot seems to be the uh, product of the day. And it's an electric pressure cooker. And it's not my favorite way of doing it, but I was going to say it's really great to help people come on board with them. Uh, I know in Mexico, a lot of people will use a pressure cooker, especially at high altitude, but then finish it in a clay pot because they love the flavor and the more gentle cooking of it
2: steve fantastic transition i love the way you're thinking we read that beautiful article about you talking about the different ways of cooking the beans so i know that there's the romantic clay pot you talk about pressure cooker if what well, they all have different applications what 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 does one cooking method impart than another if you can just give a brief synopsis
3: okay so i'd say pressure cooking at speed yeah but you've trapped the flavor. I mean, there's no reduction. So the, the bean broth is kind of dead. So I do think you have to cook it for another half hour or slow. Slow cooker is ease because you, uh, like a crock pot, you're not there. So it's when you come home, it's really fun opening the door. And it's like, oh, the servants have been busy cooking for yeah. all day. That's kind of a kick. Um, I think enameled cast iron, like Le Creuset, is kind of, everybody seems to have gotten them for their weddings. And it's a great pot. Personally, I think that's where I would start with that. And it's just, it's hardy and you can use the heavy lid open and closed to adjust the gentle simmering. And there's some evaporation so your bean broth is gonna be richer. And then clay, you just can't burn beans unless you work really hard. And also different clays within Mexico and in Europe, everywhere, have different flavors that actually impart. So that is the advantage of those as well. I have La Chamba. Yeah, those are great. Mm We are working with a group of women in Los Reyes, Mezotle, in Puebla, near Oaxaca, and they have, uh, an, is it like Wartamba where it's, unbur- it's unglazed? It's just burnished. And um, it's, I used to, when I did farmers markets, I would at night prepare beans for the next day to sample, and I'd use my uh, Le Creuset. And half the time I was so tired, I'd wake up to the smell of burning beans, which, you know, is yeah. not a pleasant smell at all. And I yeah. burn them with clay pots. It's just this gentle, loving way of cooking. It's not for everybody, but it is an interesting And also, way
2: I think it's important to designate a pot just for your beans, right? You don't want to adulterate your pot with some foreign entities, like something like a... Like a pasta fajol. We don't want to do that. No, you know?
3: Yeah, just one? I, no, I have many. <laughs> I have many dedicated.
1: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Organic Grower School offering a Cuba agroecology tour in the summer of 2021. Agroecology is the study of ecological systems as they apply to agriculture. Join Organic Grower School on their tour of Cuba this summer to learn more firsthand. During this trip, you'll participate in and observe how the Cuban agricultural community has fully embraced agroecology. You'll learn why Cuba is considered one of the leading global experts in agroecological methods. What's included in the Cuba Agroecology Tour? The nine-day itinerary includes lodging, transportation around the island, and two to three meals per day. You'll be led by a professional tour guide with agricultural experience through Havana, Vinales Valley, and the Las Terrazas Biosphere Reserve. Scholarships covering up to 75% of the trip are available, with farmers being prioritized. Learn more at organicgrowerschool.org.
2: I think one of the things that we can talk about, just as far as different applications, Mom, you cook my Moros y Cristianos recipe, which is a really great recipe, which I think is a technique that I think we should share with our listeners as far as not. We're talking about bean liquor, that, that beautiful uh, liquid of, of the bean gods. That could be used to cook rice. That could be used to stew a protein other than beans. So I think it's important to talk a little bit about that, using that bean liquor as a, as, as a vehicle for other different applications and flavor.
4: Definitely with Moros and Cristianos, I love that. Mm-hmm.
3: And when you make it, do you cook them together?
4: No, no, you cook the beans separately and then you cook the rice separately. When you start cooking the rice, well, you saute it with onion and garlic and herbs, because I don't, I version has a lot of herbs. I'm, by the way, I'm going to put up all these recipes on, 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 the oh, on my website. We're, we're working on this. And, uh, and then a- after that, you add, you add the bean liquid instead of, Chicken stock or whatever.
3: Yeah. I'm getting shivers. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. And one of
2: the cool techniques that I learned is, yeah, we, the, the bean liquid, in essence, has that 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 goodness into it. And I remember working with Douglas Rodriguez, who's Cuban, who he, he really mastered the idea of black beans. So we would start with a big pot. He would make a really badass sofrito, uh, Cubanella peppers, onions, garlic. I mean, no, I'm sorry, not garlic, onions, uh, just onions and cubanella peppers and some red pepper. Cook that, puree that, add that to the beans, and he would fry chopped garlic and throw that into the bean mixture, and like a good Cuban, a little bit of vinegar and some sugar, and then that would be the base and essence of what you would throw into uh, the rice dish. And, wow. and that would, in essence, make your monos y cristianos. Really, really special. Sorry. Yeah.
4: You know, another one of the dishes that, that's so unusual and fantastic in in Veracruz is that they make this this scrambled eggs with beans in it.
3: Mm. Oh so, yeah. So, it's kind uh, of ugly, but it's delicious.
4: Yeah. yeah. You you don't expect that you, you beat it together and then you, you cook it. It's, it's it's really delicious.
3: Yeah. No. I was gonna say though, going back to the bean broth. When I have a party, I heat up little shot glasses of bean broth and that's a great way to start the evening because it's so weird and everyone's like oh what a dumb idea and it's like dang this is good and it, it, it's a nice thing but i have, yeah. like cook rice in it like you say i poach eggs in it sometimes mm. i have little uh individual uh that you can put right on the gas no it's it's the, stuff Santa. Oh, yeah, and let's talk about that
2: yeah because i think a lot of people you know, understand that, you know, first of all, one of the things that kills my mom and I is that people think cumin is prevalent in Mexican food. And one of the most, one of the most, uh, one of the singular ways that you use cumin in Mexican cooking is through beans and also epazote. It's one of the few, few. let's talk a little bit about, mom, that, those techniques because I just wanted to spill that myth that Mexican food has cumin well, everywhere. That the know?
4: cumin is used as, as part of a, of a, Trilogy, maybe. It has equal parts of cumin and canela, which is a Mexican soft-stick cinnamon. It's not really Mexican, but they call it Mexican. And then one quarter teaspoon of cloves. And that was very, that was, uh, uh, that's used in picadillos, it's used in a lot of different dishes, that that spice mixture. And you've got to remember that when the Spain conquered Mexico, the the Moors had only been out of, of Spain, not that long. So so the thing is that uh, a lot of the flavors that we have in Veracruz and Oaxaca and all those, all those places is uh, has a little bit of, of a Moorish, you know, combination of spices particularly. In the north, that's where they use the comino a lot. They use the cumin a lot. But in in, in other places of Mexico they really don't.
2: And the idea of epazote coming into it, Steve, from your experience, what has been the exposure and, and and that sort of combination of epazote and beans? Well, it's hard
3: because I love it. People who are sort of in the know have heard about it and they're buying dried epazote, which I think is sort of like like dried dried basil. It kind of doesn't work. Um,
4: I, I don't. I don't agree.
3: Oh, no, anyway, that's good.
4: <laughs> but, yeah, my 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 mom used to make a tea with it.
3: Huh. And was it good? And
4: season the stuff with the tea and the leaves. So
3: could you use the dried beans? Do you think? How would you do it? Like in a tea bag and let it steep?
4: Yeah, you could do that. That would be a good idea.
3: Yeah, I don't know. It's such a weed that everyone should have a pot on their. I mean, I have a pot that I literally let die every year, and I thought maybe it's just dying back. No, it's completely dead, but it bolts, and there's so many seeds that this thing just comes back every year. And I'm in California, so maybe I'm lucky, but. I have epazote all the time. And beyond beans, it's so great. Like just in a quesadilla with epazote is... Oh, I know favorite. that. And if you eat pulpo, it's terrific too. I mean, epazote is a great herb that we should be using more of.
4: Yeah, Chinodum ambrosoides is the botanical name. But uh, also the avocado leaves are used a lot in the beans.
3: Yes. So we apparently our California Haas avocado leaves don't have any flavor. So they're, you really need a special leaf from... Uh, Mexico, but I think people are starting to do, just like with the beans, they're doing uh, heirloom avocados now. The Haases have taken over the world, and in fact, that's never a good idea to have a monoculture about any one crop, so I think more and more people are doing more interesting leaves, but oh, toasted avocado leaves is out of this world with black beans. Mm-hmm. And so cool, yeah. too. Sorry, I'm going on no, my rant. No, rants, go but on. We,
4: we want to hear it. We, that's what, this, is, this is what it's all about. Uh,
3: yeah, I'm a ranter. Come, <laughs> come on, bring it. So we do wonderful black beans. We have the Ayacote Negro, which aren't a true black bean at all. They kind of turn brown when they're cooked. But we have black teparies, And teparies are the only bean that's indigenous to the U.S. And they're a drought-tolerant little tiny bean that actually takes a long time to cook. But we're now working in Chiapas with some farmers. They have three black beans. And I, my immediate reaction is, no, we don't need any more black beans. And it's like, I think we're going to do all three of them. It's like wow, this one is creamy, this one is meaty, this one has this pot liquor that you could just make soup just from it. And to me, this was where I get excited. But I uh, see more and more in the big markets, the the Michigan black beans. And I think people like them because they stay black, but they really have not as much flavor as the different varieties there. We were in the the Huasteca, which was just way up, out of the way in Hidalgo. And we had heard about this one farmer that was growing uh, really cleanly because a lot of times they'll use black water, which is, you don't even want to know what that is. And we just heard there was a great guy doing heirlooms in the West So we drove for hours to meet him, and we look, and the fields are beautiful. It's like, okay, this is going to work. And he sees me when we get out of the car, and he's glowing. And I'm like, this isn't usually what happens. So we said, what are you growing? We're all excited because it's Michigan black. He was so <laughs> he got the word that. The money's with growing Michigan black beans for the international market. And for me, it it actually started a sense of urgency like this isn't for the cutes anymore. We have to go find guys like that and say, no, we want your grandmother's beans. And you can't compete with the Chinese or the Peruvians on commodity beans. What you should be doing, I think, is honoring your own heritage. I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm not. No, stop it. There is no market for, I mean, they're not going to be able to compete. But so what do you do? You specialize, I think and let's talk about your grandmother's beans and it's culturally relevant so it's like i'm not asking you to grow parts for a ford uh factory for auto parts i mean no i'm asking you to just dig a little bit in your back pocket so that's my.
4: well they certainly have done they've done that in the corn business you know because there's so many people are bringing in native corn now that they've been able to to resuscitate that you know that that business in in mexico the, the the small fields and and everything is really exciting to see. You know, there's like the corn liqueur and the corn whiskey that's fantastic. It's, it's it's very interesting what's happening just with the, the biodiversity.
3: It is. And as important as seed saving is and different groups that are kind of wagging your finger telling us, it's like, actually, the best way to save this stuff is to eat it. Yeah. Because you realize, oh, there is some value there. Let's It's worth saving.
2: And I think what's important, too, is that we need to uh, talk to... You know, how kids eat at school. I, I can't re- I don't. I can't remember having beans at a school lunch. And being able to do that simple act of making beans available to the masses from a very young age, our most valuable commodity is chi- our children, <clears throat> being able to do that I think would be a really great step to being able to introduce that as a staple of young people's diets. As Mexicans, we took for granted
3: that, but not necessarily...
4: They should make everybody a bean burrito. Mm-hmm. And healthier would
3: that be than doing processed pizza yeah. that counts as a vegetable because you use tomato sugary tomato sauce. I mean, I think beans. And I sometimes will go to schools and with cooked beans, and there's cool. always these two or three kids, non-Mexican, that just like I'm freaking. Out. It's like they keep coming more, and I'm like, okay, you got to slow this yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some issues later, but it's like. When you expose kids, most kids really love beans, and who yeah. doesn't like tortillas and a little cheese, and then maybe you sneak in some kind of vegetable on the side. It certainly beats processed pizza. For I guess Oh, absolutely. It will be easy enough to do.
2: If 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 I if I make quote the since we're on this, for all of that are listening, you must look up a great eighties movie called The Milagro Beanfield. <laughs> and in that film, there's a bunch of different great stuff, but one of them says is like, I may be poor but I grow the richest beans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that is a metaphor about what we're talking about. This idea yeah. of the the most accessible uh one one of the most accessible ingredients in Mexico that everyone can relate to from cla- from different classes to everyone. You can find it in the street or you can find it at Enrique Olavera's restaurant Pujol, there's going to be beans represented. And I think that's what's something that's beautiful about this ingredient
3: yeah and to me it's supposedly it's the most lowly ingredient that is really for poor people or when you're broke and here it is in these absolute top restaurants i mean i love that irony about that
4: so are you writing a new book
3: yes i am i'm doing talk, <laughs> got to, two, talk to us about it well it's pre premature but it, i'm doing sort <laughs> of a bean bible for a big publisher finally we I really was uh, not in love with the publishing industry, believe it or not. So we just started our own press. And so we've been publishing our own books for about eight years. Um, But I do actually have a book deal coming up. But I also, my fantasy book I'm finally going to write is yet, and I know it's like, oh, God, another gringo writing about Mexican food. But I really want to talk about the 10 years, especially 12 years now that I've been in Mexico meeting with these small farmers and I want to tell their stories and the food we ate there. And it's more of a secret revealed and it's really, I'm not pedantic or like, this isn't how things are done. This is what I saw at the Mexican food revolution that has taken place over the last couple of years. And we were there on the ground in the beginning and it's kind of fun watching the whole thing happen.
4: Well, you're definitely an advocate and an ambassador of, of our cooking and our culture. It really touches my heart because so so many people don't understand us, you know, we're right next door and. They 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 don't understand us, but it's it's been a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit more, and I hope that we're gonna get some time to to spend together live face to
3: face. I'd love that, and I think we have a lot of gossip we could probably could share. <laughs> you know oh, I'm I mean? sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, but and, and I think Steve, you're doing something that's so valuable. I think the idea, like as my mom said, you know, as Mexicans, we don't get caught up in saying oh. You know, there's another gringo writing a book. It's more no, you're you're paying the best honor to us. It's a, it's an okay. It's an homage to us that you share that interest and you're sharing it with as many people as you can. So so don't ever feel bad about that. We take that with the highest compliment. And the highest amount of respect. So please understand that, okay?
1: I will. And and, and
2: I think, Steve, we have a lot of friends in common. And I know that Napa and all what you guys are doing up in California is this beautiful community of just preserving ingredients and legacy through wine, food, and all that. So I'm sure we'll find ourselves in the same place down the road, as my mom alluded to earlier. And we're just unbelievably grateful for you, for your time, for your knowledge, and your continued mission, uh, you have—you have no idea. It's how,
3: how grateful we are.
4: This is going to be our closing uh, segment, probably, of this season.
3: No, I'm honored. No, no completely humbled. <laughs> like, you know what the coolest thing is, though? It's not like I said about 20 years ago. It's like I'm going to make a ton of money doing heirloom beans. This is going to be a great way to make a living. It's just, if there's any lesson here, it's like follow your passions and. Uh, exactly. Just do it. You
4: know, I I do a lot of motivational talks, and one of the, th- the first thing is this, I say you have to find something that you're completely passionate about. That you will not be happy if you're not doing that.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. Also, even if you don't know anything about it, like I have no ag background, and I think that helped me because other people would have told me all the things you can't do, and it's just just do it. It's just like, yeah. yeah.
4: And you've done it so well and so successfully. Thank you. And you're, yeah. you're doing service to our country and, and to a cuisine. Wow. And thank we, you. Thank you, we thank you so very much for being with us today.
2: Yes. yes. And everyone that's listening to uh, cooking in Mexican from A to Z, we're so, so grateful to have Steve Sando here, founder of Rancho Gordo. Uh, You want to look up Steve and all the beautiful things that he's doing there at Rancho Gordo Beans, please look up ranchogordo.com. There's a really neat article uh, on gq.com about Rancho Gordo Beans that I think will give you a lot of insight to what we have touched upon on this podcast. Hopefully you guys have uh, really been engaged and, and been and, and been enlightened with this beautiful uh, subject matter and ingredient that is so so fundamental to all Mexican cooking. Uh, I, I I just can't tell you how much of the world of beans you have of uh, yet to discover. I think I, you couldn't find a better a better uh, guide than Steve Sando. So please look him up. He's been an unbelievable supporter of this podcast. So we're eternally grateful for that. And uh, please stay tuned. We're going to be doing more wonderful podcasts here on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z brought to you by HRN. Muchísimas gracias. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place.
4: entrañas